So as we get close to Christmas, we do, we do a lot of gifts. We give, we receive, and um, I don't know if, if, uh, if you're a good gift giver. I'm not. Uh, giving is not one of the things I'm good at. I'm not good at receiving them. I'm not good at giving them. So if you give me a gift and I don't like it, I don't hide that very well. Um, I will try my best to be thankful, but if, if, if I didn't want it, I'm, I'm going to have a hard time being uh, faking that. There are some people who are like professional um, at artificial gratitude. Do you know anybody like that? Who um, you give them a gift and it's the worst gift in the world, right? I mean, it's like the plaid reindeer Christmas sweater that people wear to those sweater parties, you know. But you give it to them and they're like, oh, I have been looking for this sweater everywhere. This is the best gift in the world. And they kind of go over the top with this artificial gratitude. Well, then there's the other extreme, which I'm probably on that extreme. Um, my wife tells me I'm, a terrible, um, I'm terrible at gifts because, you know, if I, if I opened that sweater, I'd be like, oh, wow. Um, is there a receipt in this box? Did you, did you, where'd you get this? You know, I mean, that's probably the way I would be. Um, I'm just not good with uh, faking it. Um, some of us are, but I, I want to talk to us today. This week is Thanksgiving, and I just thought I would take some time and talk about um, being thankful, not just in our hearts, but um, with our mouths, like expressing and giving thanks, being um, thankful. It's really huge. I mean, it's really significant. It impacts our relationships, impacts everything about us. That, those positive words, just saying thank you, make a huge difference. Um, the, the Bible uses the word thanks 116 times, and 73 of those times it says give thanks. So it's, it's intended that we not just have an emotion of gratitude, a feeling in our hearts of gratitude, but that we actually give that feeling. We sort of package it and give that feeling away. We tell people that we are thankful for them. Um, this week, my wife's been out of town. She's still out of town. She's driving back right now from Texas with a few other ladies. They've been, uh, they've been uh, throwing a baby shower for some very dear friends of ours that live in Arlington. So they left this morning, and hopefully she'll be back tonight, um, Lord willing. But there's nothing like being Mr. Mom to make you thankful for the real mom, right? Amen, dads? Uh, there's nothing like, you know, four days' worth of packing lunches and taking kids to school and playing chauffeur and getting kids home from school and making sure everybody's fed and changing dirty diapers and doing all the, the dad stuff that, uh, that will make you incredibly thankful for your wife, and so I'm going to be sure to tell her how thankful I am for her when she gets back. Um, and I would encourage you, men, tell your wife, thank you. Um, ladies, tell your husbands, thank you. Speak those words. It makes an incredible difference. Um, as we come on the holiday of Thanksgiving, I want to encourage us to think about it not just as a, as a title, Thanksgiving, but as two words, Thanksgiving. Actually giving away gratitude, giving thankfulness. Um, so think about it as thanksgiving. What's the opposite of thanksgiving? Think what's just the opposite of thanksgiving. thanksgiving. <laughs> well, thanksgiving, all right, that might be one. But even worse would be complaint giving, right? The opposite of a, of a thankful heart is a grumbling 
bitter, complaining heart, right? So the opposite of thanksgiving would be complaint giving. And I, I kind of want to speak very practically for just a minute about this. Um, the Bible says, rejoice always and give thanks in everything. This, this is a command, right? Then another command, it says, do nothing. Well, let's see, how does it say it? It says, uh, in all things, let's see, do, let me see. Do all things without complaining or grumbling. So these two commands, they work complementary of each other. Give thanks in all things and do all things without complaining and grumbling. So here's the deal. You cannot be simultaneously complaining and thankful. Think about it for a minute. You cannot be thankful and a complainer. Your mouth is telling the truth of what's in your heart. You're either thankful or you're complaining. It's not, it's not both. So I want to challenge us very practically first before we jump into this text. Um, now I want to just tell you, stop complaining. Just stop it. Stop complaining about your job. Be thankful that you have one. Stop complaining about your children. Be thankful you have them. You know, it's, it's funny how that works, isn't it? If you don't have a job, you beg and beg and beg for a job. Then God gives you a job and then you complain about the job you have, right? Or maybe you struggle and struggle and struggle to have children. You beg God, please give us children. We really want children. Then you get children. A few years later, you find that they're the very thing you complain about, right? Or maybe you, you, you really want that husband. Oh, God, give me a man. Any man will do. Just give me a man, as long as he's breathing. Well, then you get, you get a man, you get a husband, and then he's the source of all your complaints. Isn't it funny how that works? And what I want to tell us is let's stop that. Um, complaining is sin. It's sin. And we shouldn't do it. Christians of all people should be... Um, should not be complainers. We shouldn't be. We should, uh, we should strive to be joyful in all things, to be thankful in all things. Not that we have to be thankful for all things, but to be thankful in all things. Um, it's also funny to me how complaining, nobody has to teach you to complain. Uh, my two-year-old this week told me she was bored. How does a two-year-old get bored? Um, Two-year-olds have only seen life for two years. I mean, how is she bored already? There's so much world she hasn't seen yet. How is she bored? Well, she's complaining. She's bored. Um, I don't have to teach my children. I don't have to teach you. No one has to teach you to complain. And yet we have to cultivate thankfulness in our hearts. We have to work for it. You have to fight against your flesh. It's like a downhill slide into complaining and an uphill climb into thankful hearts and thankful mouths. So I want to challenge you to climb. Fight the urge to complain. This week when you're around strange family members, when you're, when you're with people that you don't like and they don't like you, but you've got to have a meal together. Don't complain. Find a way to be thankful that God's put you around people you don't get to see every year. People who are very different from you. People who may need the gospel that you have. Find a way not to complain, not to grumble, not to, let me remind you, sin. And find a way to be thankful with your mouth. Maybe it's the little things. Maybe it's just half of a little thing. Like there's not a whole thing to be thankful for, so be thankful for just a little bit of a half of a thing. And tell them how thankful you are. It'll make a huge difference. That positivity makes a huge difference. 
So with that in mind, let's move into the Scripture and talk about genuine thankfulness. Not that fraudulent, over-the-top, fake, inauthentic thankfulness. And not that, you know, where's my receipt, lack of gratitude. But the genuine, right down the middle, I am so thankful for you. That real stuff. Let's stand together and read from Luke 17. Luke chapter 17, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem and he is headed to Jerusalem to be killed and he knows that. He knows that's his journey. Uh, But in, in Luke 17, he's passing between Samaria and Galilee and he comes into a small village that's unnamed and he comes across some men who are unnamed, some people who are unnamed and they're just lepers. But Jesus takes some time for them. So let's talk through this passage together. We'll read it first and then just talk through it. Luke 17, verse 11, it says, On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Did you see that? Giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Lord Jesus, thank you for your healing power, your love and compassion on the most needy and outcast among us. God, that you looked on me, a sinner, met me in my filth and rescued me from my sin, stirs up in my heart the deepest kind of gratitude. And I pray, Lord, that that gratitude, that heart emotion wouldn't stay inside of me, but would come out in thanksgiving. So this morning, Jesus, I want to say, and we hopefully collectively want to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. All right, so I want us to look at this text and get it in our minds that thanksgiving is evidence of faith, of genuine faith. Like being thankful to God is an evidence that you've actually encountered God. You've actually met him, he's changed you, and you're thankful for it. It's not just being kind, it's not just you know, flattering people with your words, it's actually a faithful action. As we, uh, as we dig in a little bit, I want to talk about leprosy because we're not familiar probably with leprosy and what it's all about. Um, 
what is a leper? What does that look like? And all those kinds of things. And without being too medically grotesque, because leprosy is, is a pretty, pretty sad deal. I just want to tell you what it is. So it's a neurological sickness that's highly contagious. And when people contract this disease, the way it shows up is in these flesh sores that look like they're eating you because they are. And they show up in these white, pink, swollen, blotchy, oozy places on your body. And the first place they show up, believe it or not, is terrible enough, your face. Right in the middle of your face is where people begin to show signs of leprosy. A man's nose will begin to just rot. And then his ears, and then his cheeks, and chin, and then ultimately it just makes its way down the body, on the, on the skin. But it's not just a skin disorder. Leprosy impacts the internal organs as well as they begin to rot from within. Leprosy, especially in biblical days, had no cure. There's no medicine for this. There's nothing you can do. You can bathe as much as you want. It's just killing you. It's a death sentence. And leprosy, all through the Bible, is a metaphor for sin and the curse of sin and how it is killing us. In fact, Romans chapter 7, where Paul says, Who shall deliver me from this body of death? Okay, he's referencing an illustration where there was a terrible punishment, a death sentence the Romans would use where they would chain a healthy person to a leprous person. And they would chain their skin to skin so that the leprous skin would be eating away at the healthy man's body until eventually he was consumed by leprosy and killed by this flesh-dying man himself. So Romans 7, Paul says, Who shall deliver me from this body of death? That's what he's talking about. This leprous thing that's tied to me, but he's referencing his own sin. All through the Bible, sin is referred to as this leprous disease that we can't escape. It's incurable. There's no fix for it. There's no way of getting away from it. We're just rotting from within. And it shows up in these terrible things like selfishness and greed and lust and pride and anger and envy. All that shows up right here. But it's eating you from inside. So as we think about this metaphor of leprosy. I want us to read through this text and think, just talking through this passage of what it's like to be a leper. God gave a prescription in Leviticus 13 and 14. You can read that later if you'd like. For if someone contracts leprosy, here's what happens. Say my buddy Chad here gets leprosy and I start seeing it on his face and I go, hey man, you got, dude, something's wrong. Hey, stay away. Don't come near me, man. I'm afraid. That's, that could be contagious. That's looking bad. Hey, do you see this? And just imagine how this works, you know. Hey, check this out. Does that, does that look like what I think it is? Oh, yeah, that's bad. You need to go see the priest. When they go see the priest, the priest looks them over and goes, mm, unclean, 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 unclean. It's terrible, right? How would you like for that pronouncement to be made about you in front of everyone? And from that moment you've been pronounced unclean, it's now your responsibility to pronounce it yourself. Every time somebody comes near you, you have to say, I'm unclean. Now think about it. We do this today, but on a small scale. Hey man, I, I would shake your hand, but I got a cold. I don't want you catching what I got. Love you. Elbow. 
right? Good to see it. Might want to stay back, <laughs> right? I don't want you getting what I've got. Well, that's just being courteous. This is well beyond that. Unclean! Don't come near me. I'm dying here. Don't, you don't want to touch. You don't want to touch. But it's not just on the outside. It's not just visible. It's eating you up inside. And one of the, one of the areas that leprosy affects first is your voice box, the larynx. And it makes it so that a person cannot speak with clarity. Like the voice is not clear. The vocal cords, they just won't vibrate like they're supposed to. They just gr they grind on each other because they're swollen and aggravated. And a person with leprosy doesn't talk like they used to. They sound, they sound like this. So imagine that. Just imagine now as Jesus is coming through this little village between Samaria and Galilee. He hears this choir of ten people go, Jesus! Master! <laughs> Sounds like a choir of monsters, right? It's just terrible. Have mercy on us. This is like the worst image you can have in your mind. You look over, he looks over, he sees these, this little crowd of people and they're all mangled and their flesh is falling off and there's pussy sores on their clothing and they've just got this grovelly sound and no one wants to be near them. This is leprosy. This is leprosy and this kind of outcast is the person that Jesus has incredible mercy on so supposing Chad contracts leprosy and he is in trouble he's been to the priest the priest has said you're now unclean you have to announce that you've got to tell everybody you're unclean and his body begins to rot it's a slow process terrible maybe Something miraculous happens. You know, a, a prophet speaks over Chad and says, uh, God has shown favor on you and wants to heal your body. And the sores begin to go away. What? Well, Chad can't just go right back into the village. He has to legally, according to the law of God, he has to go back to the priest. And the priest who declared him unclean has to then look him over and there's an eight-day process that he has to go through the ceremonial washing and the priest has to examine his whole body to make sure there's no sores, there's no... Mm, let me hear your voice. Speak. Oh, okay, that sounds good. Um, eight days of examination and cleansing and washing. And, not, and then if he's clean, the priest will then declare him clean. And he can be restored back to life and his society and his job and his family, his home, his culture. He can have friends again. He can shake hands. He can kiss his wife after eight days and a declaration of clean. Incredibly rare. Incredibly rare. So rare that we have a few stories in Scripture of that happening. You can look at one in 1 Kings 5 about Naaman. It's very rare. Uh, Jesus heals another man with leprosy in Luke chapter 5. If you like to read that. But so here we are. Jesus comes into the village and he hears these guys, Jesus, they cry out to him. And he looks at them. It says he saw them. He turned to them and he says to them, go and show yourself to the priest. So this command from Jesus is going to require a lot of faith of these lepers, right? Because they're not healed yet. Their sores are still showing. The voice still sounds terrible. And Jesus is saying, I want you to go now and show yourself to the priest. Everything in them is like, but wait up. Why don't you just wave your hand over me and heal me now? Like, 
Heal me, then I'll go to the priest. Go show yourself to the priest. So there's a little bit of faith that all 10 of these guys exhibit when they go, okay. And they begin the journey to the priest. And the Bible says, on the way, as they went, they were cleansed. There's something powerful about having enough faith to obey. Just have enough faith to obey. Let's just have enough faith to trust in him enough to do the next step that he says to do. Even if it doesn't happen in the sequence and the order and the way you would like it, I just have enough faith to trust him to take the next step. And he says, go show yourself to the priest. So as they went, the Bible says they were cleansed. Now this is important. That word in the Greek is katharizo. Katharizo, which means to cleanse, to purge, to purify, to make clean. I want you to imagine these guys are walking to show themselves to the priest and on the way they are made clean. So physically on the outside, the sores are gone. Now, look, look at the passage with me in verse 15. Then one of them... When he saw that he was healed. Now this is a different word in the Greek. This word is eomai. Which means to heal, to make whole. It's more of an internal healing. So he's not just talking about the skin. He's talking about on the inside. So he's looking at his skin and he's knowing, he's believing that what he sees on the outside, God has done on the inside. He says when he saw that he was healed, healed he turned back and let's look at what it says praising God with a what loud voice I love the Greek wording right here it's these words megaphone how about that he's praising God with a megaphone now we're talking about a man who just moments ago was like Jesus but now when he sees that he's been healed and he thinks inside that he's been cured, he turns and he runs back and he's like, Jesus! Loud voice. Praising God with a megaphone. And he gets back to Jesus and he falls at his feet. Look at what it says. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Not being thankful, but giving him thanks. Like thankfulness is something you can give. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I imagine he probably couldn't say thank you enough. Oh, oh. Holding his feet, crying at his feet. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Just giving it, giving it, giving it. Giving his gratitude from his heart. To his God. Not just a prophet, not just a man, not a priest who's healed him or declared him clean, but the God who made him clean. Now, Jesus responds to this kind of strange. And in my view, I mean, he, he sort of talks over this guy. He sort of takes this moment, which is rich with emotion. He sort of takes this moment and makes a teaching moment about it, about gratitude. He kind of has a, a, a rebuke. Now the guys he's rebuking are not there. But he says, were not ten cleansed? 
Where are the nine? That's a great question, right? Where are the others who should be showing this kind of gratitude to me? Where are they? They've kept on. They've just gone on with their, with their life. You know, they, they received from me and they just, they just kept on going. And Jesus says, Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And we were told just a, a few verses earlier, this is a, he's a Samaritan. You go, well, what's, the, what's the point? Here's the point. And just, just simply, here's the point. These guys are, this guy is a Samaritan. The one at Jesus' feet is a Samaritan. Which means he's already an outcast. He's already unwanted. He's already unwelcome. We assume that the other nine were Jews. They knew the process. Ah, I'm clean. So I need to go to the priest. I need to get declared clean by the priest. Eight days, I can be back with my family. And there's nothing wrong with these desires. There's nothing wrong with that, right? In just eight days, I can be back to life. I can have my life back. I'm sure they're thankful. But what did they neglect? They didn't give thanks to the giver. They, they received, and then they went on their way. And I think so often we do that. We're, we're, we're not receivers, we're takers. We get a blessing, and we take it and run with it. We should learn from this Samaritan who didn't just take it, he received it, and he went back to the giver and gave thanks. From a thankful heart, he gave thanks. Jesus makes another statement to him. We've been kind of messing with the Greek a little bit, reading. We, we saw that um, they, were, they were cleansed, which meant physical, outside healing. He turns and he looks and he sees that he's been healed, which means inside cure. And in this last statement, Jesus looks down to the man and he says to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. We have a different word here now, a third word for healing. And if your translation translates it this way, go your way, your faith has saved you. That's right. This word is the word sozo in the Greek, and it means saved. It's a spiritual term. It's not just talking about on your skin or in your organs. It's talking about in your deepest part, your soul, who you are. Go your way, Samaritan. Your faith, which we've seen now by your loving gratitude, your giving of thanks, your faith has saved you. So we're no longer talking just about your skin or your organs rotting. We're talking about the death sentence of your sin has been made well. I have saved you. It makes you wonder if these other nine missed out on that kind of healing. You know, they took the physical healing. They were glad to get the inside cure. But they missed the master who gave it. They didn't fall at his feet in worship. They didn't give him thanks. They didn't acknowledge him as the giver. They went on with their lives and they missed out on salvation. You know, this word is the same word that Jesus uses in Luke chapter 7 with the woman who interrupts his meal with the, with the high-class Pharisee. And, you know, she comes in and she's washing his feet with her hair and she's crying and she's... And, and the Pharisee says, if you were a prophet, you would know what kind of woman this is. 
And Jesus says, hmm, I know what kind of woman this is. Since I came into your house, you didn't wash my feet. You didn't show me worship. You didn't love me. But she's done nothing but weep at my feet and wash them with her hair. And he looks at that woman and he says to her, your sins are forgiven and your faith has made you well. Saved. Sozo. Your faith has saved you. It's the same word. It's not that he's talking about healing leprosy. That woman didn't have leprosy. He wasn't healing her body. He was healing her soul. And in this moment, Jesus is not speaking to this leper's physical ailments anymore. He's already dealt with that. He's talking about his soul and he says, Your faith has saved you. You're healed in your soul. So go your way. And I want to ask us this morning, are we thanksgivers? Do we give thanks? Are you using the megaphone that God has given you by rescuing your soul? Have you stopped on your journey to acknowledge that you've been made whole, made well? Have you seen what Jesus has done in your life? Have you turned back and said, Jesus, thank you. Fall at His feet in worship. Let's learn from this guy. Um, I would love for our musicians to just come and lead us in a song. Um, and as they sing, we will transition into um, observing the Lord's Supper together. Um, it's funny, the word here, when this leper turns and he falls at Jesus' feet, and the Bible says, and he gave him thanks. You know what that word there? For thanks is, we're doing a little Greek today, might as well stay with it. So the word thanks right there is eucharistes. Isn't that interesting? He gave thanks, eucharistes. What, what word do you think we get from that? The Eucharist, which is, right, the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, communion. It's, it's the way that we, um, one way that we collectively give thanks to Jesus. So in a moment when we distribute the bread and the juice and we, you hold in your hands a little piece of bread and, a, and a, a little cup of juice, when you hold these things, I want you to think about His body. His body that suffered the pain and death that we deserve. And His blood that was shed. And let's give Him thanks. This is an activity that is a remembering. It's a... It's a remembering with deep gratitude. Looking back at the cross, Jesus said, every time you do this, when you do this, remember me. Well, that's not just about calling it to mind and having memories. It's about remembering with gratitude and with worship, with praise in our hearts. So I want us this morning to really focus in. And as these guys play uh, softly, let's just take a moment right now. I want you to pray right where you are. I want you to imagine yourself, just close your eyes and imagine yourself running back to the feet of Jesus, falling at His feet. What would you say to Him? Has He washed you clean like that? Has He made you whole? Was your life a wreck, but He's transformed you? Has He saved you from your sin? 
And if He has, don't just be thankful on the inside. Let's tell Him, Jesus, thank You, thank You, thank You. Take some time right now. And as they play, tell Jesus thank You.